Today is a strange day in an already strange season. Smack dab in the middle of a season of penance, we hear, Rejoice, Jerusalem, and all who love her. Be joyful, all who are in mourning. What are we doing rejoicing in Lent? What happened to sackcloth and ashes? The thought of rejoicing in Lent without the comforts of beer, chocolate, or Netflix can seem almost as laughable as the idea of Brother Henry fasting in the first place. (laughs) But consider for a moment everyday life. How can we be joyful amid the thousand and one worries, troubles, and anxieties of everyday life? How can we be joyful amid family problems, financial issues, struggles at work, struggles at school, the old downward pull of familiar sins? On top of that, we have Lent. And the point of Lent is not to be enjoyable, right? Wrong. There's a reason for Laetare Sunday, and it's to remind us what is so different about Christian joy. That's why it's dead center, three weeks into Lent and three weeks out from Easter. On Laetare Sunday, the church draws our attention to the way joy is connected to suffering, of all things. If we ask, why did Jesus go up to Jerusalem? Why did he suffer? Why did he die? Scripture gives us an answer in the letter to the Hebrews. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. That's what sets apart Christian joy. That's why we rejoice in our feasting and in our fasting. And the readings that the church gives us today help us to rethink our rejoicing in two ways, I think. First, there's a connection between joy and Jerusalem, the great city of David. This connection shows up in the responsorial psalm when we hear, by the streams of Babylon, there we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion. In the psalm, the Lord's people are in exile. They're living in the land of their enemies because they had added infidelity to infidelity. They had polluted the Lord's temple with the worship of idols. They had mocked his messengers, laughing them to scorn. This is a gladness that's gone terribly, terribly wrong. As the people of God turned from the Lord, their joy turned sour. And yet, even as the psalm has a bitter tone, there's a hint of tenderness. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand be forgotten. May my tongue cleave to my palate if I remember you not. If I place not Jerusalem, ahead of my joy. 
Penitent Israel has learned something here. Learned something about true joy. It comes in Jerusalem, but also from Jerusalem. And part of their infidelity was that they forgot that priority. They forgot that the Lord had come to them in Jerusalem. That's where he'd chosen to meet them. Their infidelity to the Lord was infidelity to Jerusalem and the loss of their joy. In the words of the great poet and sage Joni Mitchell, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. In a context that's not about paving over the beautiful woodlands, the setting here is about recognizing the source of your true joy, dwelling with God, closeness with God. That is the first point that's given to us in our readings. The second is related. Here, though, we have to ask again, is this joy really possible? If joy comes from dwelling with God, is that really within our grasp? Is that really to be found in our daily lives? Our culture, especially today, is skeptical about joy because it seems to be a naive expectation that you can be joyful all the time. Unrealistic and naive. This is not the Christian belief. We deny neither the pain of disappointment nor the reality of joy. It's because joy is a gift from God that nothing can take from us. Nothing. Because it's a gift, though, it's not something that we can make or produce for ourselves. Think of the last time you were stuck in a bad mood you realize too late that daylight savings time was this weekend. You lost an hour of sleep that you hadn't been counting on. And then you got stuck in yet another conversation with Brother Henry. And you realize, to your dismay, that no amount of positive thinking can possibly help. True joy seems to be a remote, remote fantasy. It takes something else, breaking in and breaking you out, of yourself. It takes a gift from someone who loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The gift of the incarnation reveals the God who loves us and invites us to share in his joy, to make our joy secure, to make it last, with nothing missing. The gift of the Incarnation, though, is not just a gift for Christmas unwrapping. It's also a gift for Good Friday suffering. Even though we were sinners, Jesus gave himself up for us. As St. Paul puts it in our second reading, God brought us to life with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, because of the great love he had for us. When we were enslaved, God took action. 
We can't have joy without a free heart. And that's why Jesus was lifted up, as St. John tells us in the gospel. Jesus is lifted up so that our hearts might be lifted up with him, might be freed from what ties them down, freed for joy. Even now, God continues to offer us joy when we're most joyless. He offers us grace at our most graceless. It's this fact that's the foundation for Christian joy. This is what makes our joy different. We no longer depend on the uncertain swings of mood or weather or daylight savings time. We don't depend on the ups and downs of work or our family situation to be joyful. The gift of God transforms those circumstances. Because of Christ, we have love's freedom. We're free to be joyful in good and bad fortune alike. This means then that the joy we have can't be stolen from us. We can lose it as the chosen people did when they were unfaithful to the Lord in Jerusalem, but it can't be taken from us. This is the realism of our belief in God's grace. Are we naive? Are we unrealistic? By God's grace, no. Our answer to a culture that forgets joy is this. Grace doesn't neutralize our pains. It doesn't take away our disappointments. We still feel the nails in our crosses. But in the light of faith, we understand joy and suffering differently. Joy is not earned. It's received as a gift. It can be without emotional fireworks. You don't always have to feel tremendously happy. Joy works at a deep, deep level within you. It's the quiet, steady delight of being with the one who loves you, with the one who came to dwell with you, with the one who came to heal you. Joy comes ultimately And this is what we reflect on here in the middle of Lent. Joy comes from being with the Lord in his suffering and in his deep gladness. That's why the Lord calls us to Jerusalem. As we make our pilgrimage towards Holy Week, we ask to be healed by his wounds, to be lifted up in his joy. In this Eucharist today, we ask God to make us ready for Jerusalem, to grant us the grace we need to hold fast to his promises, and to receive in this sacrament his Son, our joy.